Well, uh, we began a series last week uh, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John. If you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, it is, if you can just guess what book we'll be in, uh, we'll be in John. We're going to spend a few more weeks in John, and then we'll take a, like I said last week, we'll take a break, and then we'll spend a few weeks kind of chasing down a few of the rabbits that are started with that study, and then we'll come back to John. So the goal of the Gospel of John is to do about six weeks on, six weeks off, six weeks on, we'll kind of ebb and flow through the Gospel of John that way. And last week, we just kind of did some, some opening lines of John. We looked at the introductory statements. And so uh, I'm not going to go over that whole sermon, but, but here's, here's the, the, the basic belief of John. And what you and I have to wrestle with uh, as we go through this, as we just go through life, is, is John right or is he just super poetic? Because if he's super poetic, it's beautiful literature and we take it at, at that. But if he's right, it really changes everything about how we think and what's most important. What John believed was that his friend, his rabbi Jesus, was the source of all life, and that to know him, to receive him, and to confess him as Lord, a son of God, to know that he's the Christ, is to have eternal life here and now, to, to have your life filled up, more rich, bigger, better, because why does John believe that? Well, he said last week that Jesus was the word, and when we unpack that, what he believes is that Jesus is the revealed nature of God. You can know your creator. You can know what he thinks about you, what his emotions are towards you, because the word showed you what they were. Jesus explains to us what the father feels about us. And so for those of us who have this belief structure that, man, my, my God is mad at me. My God is trying to take all the good things out of my life. I have let my God so far down. He will never rescue me. Those beliefs are so common. I hear them all the time. The problem with those beliefs is that the word of God, Jesus, he says he didn't forget you. He says that I came so that you may have life. I came, I came because in your brokenness, you would never restore yourself. And so Jesus came. Jesus is the word. And then John, he, he goes like bigger than anything. He believes that Jesus is the very foundation upon which all of the rest of the cosmos is built. That Jesus was actually in the beginning forming earth, forming the universe, you know, causing all these things to be. And John believes that all that exists exists because Jesus chose for it to exist. Now, those are really, really big statements. And if he's right about that, then for us to fall in line with that belief structure gives us the most opportunity to be successful and to be full of life. If he's wrong about that, then we're still on the hunt for what is the truest thing. I'm persuaded and have been persuaded even before reading John at a younger age that he's right about Jesus. I have found that for me being a follower of Jesus has given me life. And I have found that whenever I understood that Jesus is the main point and not me or Jesus is the main point and not my circumstances, when I found that Jesus is the main point, every time I've built something on that foundation it was better than anything else that I built. That's been my experience, uh, and it's been the experience of many other people. And so what I want to do is just continue reading the Gospel of John as if, okay, well, he's making the case that this is true about Jesus, but does it hold water? Like, can we, what, what, what can we gather from that? And so uh, this, this week, uh, we're going to meet a guy named John the Baptist. I'm a big fan of John the Baptist. I, I like his style, uh, not his fashion. His fashion was terrible. He wore camel hair. I don't know if you know much about camels. 
uh, they are naturally just smelly things. Like if you scrub a camel, it starts out stinky and it gets worse. Like they're just gross, coarse things. So, so not that fashion. I like that he was so wild. Uh, he, he was so honest. He knew, he knew himself so well. We're going we're gonna to look at how the gospel of John talks about John the Baptist. And to be clear, those are two different Johns. I'm sorry for the confusion. They just, you know, like their moms both named them John. Uh, who, who is John the Baptist? What, what can we know? Uh, some people, uh, I grew up uh, Baptist, and not the flavor Baptist that I was, but there are some flavors of Baptist that believe that the Baptist branch of Christianity is the oldest branch of Christianity. And you say, well, why do you believe that? They're called Landmarkist Baptist. Uh, why do you believe that that is the oldest? Well, have you met a guy named John the Baptist? Okay, so, so let's just be clear. Uh, the Baptist denomination began in the 16th century in Europe. Okay, John the Baptist is completely unrelated to that. Uh, he's called John the Baptist or sometimes called John the Baptizer because he dunked people. He dunked a lot of people. He would walk around and he's like, you must repent and I'm going to dunk you. Uh, he was Jesus's cousin. He was a few months older than Jesus. He was the son of uh, a very elderly couple. In fact, his whole birth story, if you read it in the other gospels, it has a very Abraham and Isaac kind of feel to it. His parents were way beyond any age where they would ever think that they would become pregnant. And then Elizabeth is like, Zechariah, I'm having a baby. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like call AARP. Like it, they, they were, they were, they were elderly and, and then they become pregnant with John the Baptist. He's the, he's the son of a priest. I think I may have just said that. And so we need to know that John the Baptist is a highly educated person with, with this, this, this birth story that is, is kind of epic and he's related to Jesus. Most people now, uh, when they look at the groups of people that existed in Israel, uh, they believe that John the Baptist belonged to a group of people called the Essenes. Now, this is, this is all history, so hang, hang tight with me. Uh, we'll get to the scriptures here in a second. The Essenes uh, are responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls. So anybody, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, rolls of you know Old Testament, New Testament passages, they found them in a cave. Who wrote that? Well, the Essenes wrote that, and people believe that John the Baptist was one of them, that he was an Essene. The Essenes, they lived outside of the city, and they believed that the city represented all that was wrong in the world. They believed that God was about to pronounce a judgment on all of creation because people have fallen away from God, all of the people, all of the people in the temple, the priests, the, the, the Levites, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were just like blanket statement. You're all like, you're all just going to burn, you know, like very, very, very strong words. Uh, but they lived in kind of a peace, like a commune uh, settlement outside of the city. And so what we get with John the Baptist is that he has this message of repentance and he didn't care who he was talking to. If he was talking to a, a homeless person begging on the street, he would say, you know, you might want to repent and, and repent of your sins and turn back to God. If he was talking to the high priest, which is, you know, like Supreme Court justice in our parlance, who's super successful, who knows, you know, by, by his job description, knows how to follow God, John the Baptist would look at him and say, you need to repent and turn back to God because you're about to bring, bring judgment on yourself. He would just go around. So you could imagine John the Baptist wasn't the most popular amongst the powerful people. But as he preached and as he taught all throughout his, his ministry, people would come flocking to him. Why would so many people come flocking to him? Well, if you read the rest of the Gospels, it's because those people understood something that you and I naturally understand. This world's broken. This world has some sharp edges, and it hurts so bad. 
There's groups of people who are wanting to pretend that everything is okay and they have it all together, but John the Baptist had a different message. It's broken because we need to repent and we need to turn back to God. So he was a super popular guy. That's, that's John the Baptist, and I think that's uh, everything you need to know about him so far. So let's begin reading uh, in chapter 1, verse 19, and see where we, where we go with this guy. I, I love him so much. I wanted, at one point, I planned, in my notes, I have a plan to do a series just on John the Baptist, and now that I'm doing this one message, it's going to have to, I'll have to wait a few years before we do it. But uh, John the Baptist, verse 19, says, And this is the testimony of John the, the, the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, this is a powerful question. Before we even get to the answer, this is a, this is kind of a big question. Who, who are you? Uh, the people of power, uh, it says the Jews, uh, we should probably read that as like, uh, Judean, uh, uh, religious leaders, but the Judean religious leaders, the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem, they said, who, who are you? They want John the Baptist to answer the question, who, who are you? When, when people ask you that question, it, it says a lot about who you are as to how you answer that. It also says a lot about how, how you ask it. Like when, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, what are some of the most common questions that we ask right away? It's like, uh, hi, my name, my name's Jesse. What's, what's your, what's your name? Okay, so we need a name. And if your name is wild, like I immediately draw a picture. If your name is, I don't know, Tiffany, I don't think there's a Tiffany in the room, but if there is, uh, uh, hey, Tiffany, there is a Tiffany in the room. Yes. Hello. I immediately, uh, in fact, I just met Tiffany. Sorry to, if I'm embarrassing you. I just met Tiffany this week. And, and immediately when you hear someone's name, you immediately think of every Tiffany, you know, and it's like, is this Tiffany going to be different or the same? Because why we categorize people based on names right away. I did not do that on purpose, but here we are. Um, so, so who, who are you? And then we, we might say a name and then what's the next question? What do you do? Like, what, 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 what's your job, right? And because we immediately, we categorize people by how much impact that maybe they have in this world, or we're just trying to make small talk, like, oh, you're a plumber. Oh, you're probably like every plumber I've ever met. Oh, you're an electrician. Oh, oh, you're, and this one, this one get, eats at me. Oh, you're a pastor. And then immediately, like, they're throwing the beer off the table, and, like, they stop cussing right away. It is so weird to me how different people are as soon as they find out, like, I'm, I'm a pastor. Because why? We equate job in the thing you do with person and I identity. And so, and so when we're asked the question, who are you, how you answer that says so much about not only who you believe you are in the world and real, like inside yourself, it says a lot about what you're trying to project into the world. I, I, who, who are you? I'm someone you don't want to mess with. That's who I am. Like, I'm, I'm telling you right away, don't, I'm probably scared to death that you will mess with me, right, at, at that point. I'm, I'm just trying to put up a shield right away because we use the answer to that question to build up our barriers, to identify who we are and who we belong to, our affiliations. Uh, who are you? I'm a libertarian. Like, you just immediately, I, I really, I just, I'm just trying to get to know you. It's like a first date and they're giving you their political views. It, it's really strange how we answer the question who, are you? The, the religious leaders, they got this guy, John the baptizer, and he's making a big, big splash. And they want to know out of his mouth, who do you say that you are? Who are you? Because there's a lot of rumors about you right now. Who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I love that he knew exactly where this question was going. Like, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's like, oh, I'm John, son of Elizabeth. My dad was a priest. Like, he didn't give any of his history. He didn't really talk about his messaging. Who are you? Well, I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not Jesus. 
right? Uh, and, and for us, we're, we're in the future. You and I are in the future. And so that is a really duh statement. We're, we're pretty well convinced that Jesus is the Christ, right? Uh, and so if, if someone's like, who do you think you are? Well, I'm not your savior, okay? I'm not perfect, right? We immediately, like, we use that. We say, we say well, I'm, I'm not Jesus. And John the Baptist, he, he, he wants to begin with who he's not. One of the questions that I think is going to be super powerful for us to ask, and I will ask at the end of the message, is uh, uh, two questions, actually. Who are you, and who are you not? John the Baptist is a guy who is very, very popular and very powerful. And he has a good message, and he believes what he is doing is good. And so it would be an easy, easy temptation for him to just let things linger and try to amp up his popularity a little bit more. You never see John the Baptist like turn his popularity up. He never, he never tries to build his own foundation. He's, I'm not the Christ. I'm, I'm not that guy. Okay. So, so let's figure out who you are. So they asked him some follow up questions and, and they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Notice the capital P in, in our English translations. And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those uh, who you are, who sent us. We need to give an answer to those who, who sent us. Who, who are you? Are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Uh, are you the Christ? In, in their day, they're looking for somebody. Everything in the Jewish world is looking for their rescuer, looking for someone who's going to make sense of this. And they wanted to know, is John going to make the claim that he is that person? Uh, interesting uh, aside, this is maybe for your later Bible study. They asked him if he is the Elijah, which is one of the prophecies that one like Elijah would come. Uh, he says no. Jesus will later say he actually was the one that was promised back that he would be the second Elijah. But uh, maybe maybe John the Baptist lied. I don't think so. I think he probably didn't fully understand what his role was yet. He doesn't. He doesn't quite know who he is yet. Um, are you the prophet? All the way back in the uh, uh, Deuteronomy, Moses is writing another, a prophet like Moses, another like Moses will come. And they've been looking for this guy for the last 1,500 years. And they're like, John, John the baptizer, are you, are you that guy? No, not, not him either. Okay, well, we need to know who you are. That's our job right now is to figure this out. And so they, he said to him, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he does see himself fitting in the Old Testament story. He goes to Isaiah. Isaiah had some prophecies about the, the suffering servant, who the Christ would be. And he said, one will come who will make the path as straight as possible for the, the coming one. That's my job, he says. John the Baptist says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not anybody you need to be worshiping right now. I'm not, I'm not any of those things. But what I am, I'm someone who is going to make it as easy as possible for you to see who Jesus is. You know, when, when I ask the question at the beginning, and I will ask again at the end, who, who are you and who are you not? We, we, we need to not only answer it in uh, what we wish it would be. We need, to, we need to look like, how are we treating people? You know, some of us, we get into codependent relationships with, with friends and family, and we functionally are trying to be that person's Christ. We are trying to rescue them from their bondage. We're trying to be there in the addiction, and we're going to do everything we can to pull them out of it. Listen to me. Maybe the most freeing thing you need to hear me say is, you are not that person's Jesus. You were never called to be their rescuer and their Christ. Uh, 
You are not your child's Jesus. You are not your spouse's Jesus. You're not your boss's or your co-worker's Jesus. And, and to put that weight on you is to put a burden that will crush you because Jesus never asked you. He's like, I'm good being Jesus. I created the universe. I'm in control of it. And be honest with yourself that you're, you're not. John, John the Baptist, he doesn't step into the enabling role. He says, I'm not. I'm not the Christ. Uh, I am, though, someone who's going to make it super easy for you to see who the Christ is. When we, get the, when we get that first part of the question wrong, when we step into people's lives and we try to be their rescuer and we try to be their Jesus, or we think that we're the main point and it's all about our popularity, I'm going to do God a favor. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to raise Jesse's platform. I'm going to make him his, his voice go out to as many people as possible because I need to make Jesse the main point. When we do that, we are making it harder to see who Jesus is. We are getting in the way of what Jesus might be wanting to do in that person's life. John the Baptist, he says this, says, I'm the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm going to make it easy for you to see who, who Jesus is. This is good for those of us who want to make a big deal about Jesus. He doesn't need us to be his public relations campaigner. His, his reputation is just fine without us. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be who we are, who we're called to be, not to be their Christ, and in every way possible, make the path straight and easy for them to see who Jesus is. And, and sometimes, if I have to be honest with you, sometimes I'm standing in the way of that. I just, I just am. Um, full, full disclosure, it, it's a little bit of imposter syndrome whenever I have to tell someone what I do for a living. I'm like, okay, what have they seen me do? What do they know about me? Like, I'm immediately, like, can, can, am I disqualified yet? And so I'm just constantly thinking about it. And, and probably like two weeks after you, you guys called me to be pastor, I wasn't even comfortable saying, like, I would stutter as it came out. And, and we go out and we're at, uh, Avenue X. Have you guys been to Avenue X? Love that place. It's so much fun. If you have any aggression, you've had a bad week, you just like throw an axe at a block of wood, like, 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 like Patriot Tomahawk style. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so we're there with friends and uh, we're having a good time. And we have a, they have like a host who will come and like help you like, no, throw the ax this way. He's like, Jesse, stop flicking your wrist. Every time I threw it, I flicked my wrist. It's a whole problem. But, and, and he would ask me, he's like, what do you do? And it's like, oh, uh, I, you know, I work with people. Like I was real, like real, real blank. It's like, right, but like, what do you do for a living? And I just, uh, you know, like, and he's been cursing the whole time. So like, I'm trying to help him out. And the more I danced around it, the more awkward it got. And finally, Ashley's like, you know, Jesse, you just got to tell him you're a pastor. Like you at some point, you just have to say it. And, and it was not as weird as I made it out there. I made it far weirder than it should have. I stood in the way of having a lot of rich conversations with someone I've had rich conversations with since because I was too hung up about myself. I was too hung up about what they thought about me. And am I going to get in the way of this? Here's the beauty of John the Baptist. It wasn't up to John the Baptist to keep the universe running. And it's not up to Jesse. And listen, moms, it's not up to you. Dads, the universe isn't waiting for you. Your, your job, your boss doesn't need you to be in control, doesn't need you to be the Savior, doesn't need you to be the Christ. You're called to be somebody, but it's not the Christ. And to get that right is beautiful. I think that's why John the Baptist was super effective. He knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. Verse 24 now. 
Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now, we, we may or may not get into this as we go through the book of John, but there are a lot of different schools of people that are coming at Jesus at one point, and they've all come to John the Baptist at this point. So you have the, you have the, the, the Jews or the Judeans, you have uh, the Levites, you have the priests, now you have the Pharisees, it's a separate group. Later you'll have Sadducees come up against Jesus. I don't know that we'll get into it, but if you're interested in understanding the Gospels and knowing who all these different parties are is helpful. Um, but now the Pharisees are sending and asking him some more questions. They said, they asked him in verse 25, then why are you baptizing? You know what? If you're not any of those people, why are you out here dunking people in water? He says, if, if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, it's, it's very, it's very fall of Mars Hill. Who do you think you are? Kind of a phrase right here. Who, who are you out here? You're doing all these religious things and you're dunking people in water. You're baptizing them. Who, who are you? And John answered them, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not even, uh, do you, who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we have some geography tells us this right outside the city of Jerusalem. Bethany across the Jordan would have been about four miles from the city of Jerusalem. And he's just doing this almost like right on their doorstep dunking people. And he says, you know what? There is somebody that you want to pay attention to. The Christ is here. I'm not even worthy. I'm a big deal. You know, everybody says I'm a big deal. I'm not even worthy to get down and touch his toes. That's how big of a deal this next guy is coming. And you don't know who he is yet. One amongst you, 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 you don't know. Uh, many of us, especially living in Texas, in the South, we're in the Bible belt. We've been exposed to images of Jesus at a young, young age. Uh, I think maybe what I'm about to say is more for people who will listen to this in the future than maybe in this room. It is completely possible that, that you have been so inoculated with these random images of who Jesus is that when you actually meet him face to face, you don't recognize him for who he is, the beauty and the power of who he is. It is possible to be so close to Jesus that when you hear the gospel message for the first time, it can't take root because you're just bored. I've heard that before. I, I've heard that before. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the Levites, they've been looking for Messiah so long that when they got face-to-face -face with Jesus, they're like, I don't see the big deal. I, I don't know. And they missed out on the creator of the universe. We need to be careful that if you're so bored with the image of Jesus, one, you don't see the Jesus that all the gospel writers are describing. You might just be seeing the American Jesus that it's like, he's kind of a, he's, he's kind of a good teacher and he's got some nice things to say and he wants to be nice to your mom. But, but, He's got a lot more to say, and there's a lot more power in his name. And so he says, there's one, you don't even recognize him yet. You don't know. Well, we'll keep going. We have a few more verses. Verse 29, the next day. So that was a big day, by the way, right? Imagine you're John the Baptist. It's a normal day at work. You're just baptizing people, telling them to repent of their sins. Um, oh, we'll get to that later. Uh, he, he ends up getting killed for telling someone in power that they should repent. They, they didn't like it, so they killed him. But uh, that'll come up in a few chapters. Uh, and, and after this busy day of people just coming and telling, like, who do you think you are? The next day, what happens? The next day, verse 29, he saw Jesus, his cousin, by the way, coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looks at Jesus as he's walking in this crowd. It's another busy day. He's probably got 50 baptizing appointments on the schedule. He's got the group of Sadducees like waiting for him to say something out of turn. Like everything is happening. And then he sees Jesus walk by and he announces to the crowd, there he is, the Lamb of God who's going to take away all of your sins. John the Baptist is, is saying this. His entire message is repent of your sins 
it is against his message. It is against his platform to point to somebody and say, well, here's the one who's going to take away your sins. It would have been more selfish of John the Baptist to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to not know that. But his job, what is his job? It's to make straight the path of the Lord. When he sees Jesus, and he sees that he's the one who's going to take away the sins, that's who your rescue is. Listen, if you're in a codependent relationship and you're doing your best to point that person, that addict or that, that person who's in a dark place towards Jesus, as soon as you get them to Jesus, step out of the way. John the Baptist, he didn't like, oh, you know, don't look at him. He's not a big deal. Pay attention to me. I'm a big deal. He, he knew, like, my, my platform was elevated to the point for this, to magnify Jesus, and now I'm going to step away. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me, and, and that is sequentially, Jesus was born after John the Baptist. John the Baptist shows up on the scene before Jesus. And so he's saying, after me comes a man who ranks before me. He's a bigger deal than me because he was before me. In fact, that's how the gospel begins is that he was in the beginning with God. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I think what John is saying at this point is, you know, he would have seen Jesus at family events. I don't know. They, they would have met, I assume, along the way. I think what he's saying is, I knew my cousin. I didn't know who he was all the way. So some of us, you know, we've been going to church such a long time that, that we, we get to a space where we come face to face with who Jesus is. It's like, I didn't even realize who I've been talking about all this time. When I, when I was in uh, Bible college, there was this guy. It was a youth ministry class that I was in, which is, if whatever you think that class looks like, it is far funnier and far more circusy than you can imagine. It's like, okay, what games teach at this point? It's like, okay, you got four Oreos and go. It's like, it's a lot of, a lot of planning activities and things. But there was this one guy who was a youth pastor and everything this guy did, he was like the, the Midas touch of Jesus. Like everything he did, God blessed. He would, he would be, he would wake up in the morning and be like, have you guys thought about Jesus? 10 people would repent of their sins and they'd be baptized at night. Every time this guy came to class, he had these huge stories about who Jesus was and how blessed his ministry is and how big his youth group is. And it was just on and on and on. And at some point you're like, just gag. Come on, man. Like, what's going on? And one day, here he goes again, raising his hand again. It's like, yeah, yeah. What, what, what'd you do this time? You know? And he said, he said, my church was having a revival. And the pastor that came in, the guest preacher was preaching, was preaching. And he said all the same things I've said a thousand times. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I've been preaching about Jesus and I've never confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've been baptizing in the name of Jesus, but it just, I didn't realize who he was for me. And he said, I just want you guys to know I confess Jesus for, this is a youth pastor, like a huge youth group. I confessed Jesus for the first time and I was baptized in front of my students. And it was humiliating and freeing at the same time. I'd, I've been talking about Jesus. I've been around him so long. I didn't even know who he was. John the Baptist is my cousin. The, he, I'm not even worthy of untying his shoes. I didn't realize who he was right away. And he says, he says, I, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, for his purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And there he is. There's Jesus. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, he's repeating it again, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
this gospel doesn't talk about the baptism of Jesus, but what John the Baptist is referencing is this moment where his cousin walks up to him on a busy day of baptizing and says, it's my turn to be baptized. And in that part of the gospel, go read it. It's in Matthew. It's in, it's in Luke. Uh, in that gospel, John the Baptist looks at him and says, you basically, you don't need to repent. Like I, I'm, I'm baptizing repentance. You don't need to repent. And Jesus says, no, it's to fulfill prophecy. I want you to baptize me. So John the Baptist baptizes the creator of the universe in the Jordan River. And when he comes out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And everybody there hears the voice of heaven in heaven saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And now John the Baptist is sitting at the height of his ministry saying, my job is to make it easy for you to see who the Christ is. And then he goes to sleep that night and he wakes up the next morning and then there he is. He says, there's the one who the Spirit of God descended on. That's the one you should be following. That's the one my life has been pointing to. I'm going to tell you to go to him. In verse 34, we get to the end of what we're going to read today. He says, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Notice what John doesn't say. John the Baptist doesn't say, you know, that's a guy, you, he knows a lot about God. Hey, that's a guy who, you, you like, pay attention to him. He's smart. No, 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 he, he's powerful. He's the, he's the son of God. I want to give you uh, some really, really good news. You're not the Christ. Your, your wife doesn't need you to be her Jesus. Your husband doesn't need you to be his Jesus. We, when we pick up that burden, we will never succeed. In fact, not only will we not succeed, some of us are willing to suffer, and and we're like, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus, and I'll do that. We're suffering in a way that actually obstructs what Jesus may be wanting to do. The best thing we can do is look in the mirror and say, I am not this world's Savior, but I know who is. And I'm going to do everything that I can, like John did, to, to, to use my platform, to use my influence, to use my power, to point towards him. Those of us who have been so bored with Jesus, we've been inoculated because we've heard so many messages about Jesus, that is, maybe John would say, it's time for us to repent of that. It is time for us to not be bored with what the creator of the universe is revealing himself to be and, and get a good glimpse of who he is. Because I believe this. I believe that John is right, that if we come to the place where we realize that he is the son of God, that he was sent to relieve the world of all of her sins, and then we point to him, we'll find life in his name. We will find peace. We'll find purpose in his name. And we take that burden off of us. When uh, I, I hesitate to tell this story because it's got some violence in it, but I'll go ahead and tell it. I, I've, I've shared it before. So uh, one day I'm in, I'm in Walmart, and I'm um, between meetings, and they have like that McDonald's thing. And uh, so I'm sitting, I'm waiting for this time, and uh, a guy comes in with some kids, and the kids are kind of back-talking the guy. And uh, at one point, I see, I see the guy stand up, and he kind of makes a, like a lunging move around the corner on this kid. And it looked violent to me. It looked, it looked really violent. And uh, I thought, well, I can't let a grown man beat up a 10-year-old, right? I, I just can't do that. And so I round the corner, and this is no joke, no embellishment. There's a grown man who has his arm across the throat of a 10-year-old telling him, you will listen to me, you will pay attention. And I'm in Walmart where people are crazy anyway. So for me to get a little crazy, like I'm amongst friends, I feel like, I'll end up in the People of Walmart Facebook group, and I, 
I put my hand on his shoulder, I pull him away, and I'm like, you can't do that. And I'm, I'm yelling at him, he's yelling at me, and there's this moment, there's this moment where I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know if like I'm about to go to jail, I don't know, I just know I need to help in this moment. But after I've separated the two, I don't know how, to, I'm, I'm like Ricky Bobby, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I don't want to put my hands on someone, but here we are. And uh, where, where is this going to go? And he asked me this question, he asked me the same question that they asked John the Baptist. Well, who are you? And I said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm CPS. I've never worked for CPS in my life. <laughs> it just came out of my mouth. And after I've said it, I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm incriminating myself. And I'm, I'm like making up some stuff. I didn't know how to get out of that situation. The kids are crying now. He wasn't even crying with the man's arm against his throat. But now he's crying because I'm CPS. And he, I don't know what he knows about CPS. The manager comes. I'm like, please take care of this. I need to go. And I just left. I didn't, I didn't wait for the police. I didn't do anything because in this moment, I felt like I had to rescue and I didn't know who to say I was. So I just made up something. I am not CPS. It would have been wiser of me not to say that. So many times I end up in relationships and this is true of ministers too, where our need to help someone, our need to be there for someone, we insert ourselves into the slot, the Christ. And it's codependent and it's toxic. And if I had to be honest with you, it's getting in the way of Jesus doing the work that he wants to do. And it is our best move, our healthiest move to lovingly say, I'm not the Christ, but I can show you who is. Let me ask you two questions to chew on this week, pray on this week, meditate on this week. Who are you? Who are you really? Who, who are you that you project yourself into the world? Who is it that you're trying to convince the rest of the world that you are? And are you okay with that, right? Who are you? And this is the one, this is the one, the, the most freeing question to answer. Who are you not? Who are you trying to be? But in reality, you are not that person. And can you let it go? We need to relieve ourselves of the addiction of being the Savior so that the Savior has space to intersect into people's lives. And if we do that well, Carpenter's Way, there's a whole community of people that you work with, that you meet with, that you love, family. They're gonna see Jesus more clearly when we step out of the spotlight and stop casting our shadow on what the Lord is doing and we make straight the path of the Christ and we say, there he is. There's the Lamb of God and he's here to take away your sins. He's here to rescue you. Let's point to him, right? Amen? Let me pray. Father, this morning... Um, we thank you for the story of, of John the Baptist. Father, we thank, you, um, we thank you that he was comfortable not standing in the way. Uh, Lord, forgive us for when we're in the way. I think most of us do it out of a, a want to help. And so um, I pray, Father, that, that you, would, you would relieve us of the burden of putting too much on our shoulders, that we would stop carrying the weight of the universe as if all of the universe depends on us. Lord, help us, help us to lay that at your feet. And we can find rest in your name. May we, may we be rescued by the true Christ and promote him with our lives. Uh, you're the, you're the truest thing. Uh, you're the truest thing that, that we'll ever know. Uh, help us to reflect that and help us to walk in that truth daily and to walk in the freedom that that truth gives. We love you and pray this in Jesus name. Amen.